If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Colossians chapter 2 as we'll read again a theme text that has led us in our study for the last few weeks. While you're opening there, let me let you know that on the second Sunday in September, I want you to mark your calendar for September the 13th. September 13th, we're going to have L2 Sunday at the park, for real, this time. Please keep us in your prayers that we won't have any rain. Some of you remember uh, in early June, we had planned a day to be, or late May, I guess, planned a day to be out at the park, and uh, the Lord saw fit to do that differently. So we're going to have, uh, what do they call Koinea Park Deux? So this is uh, L2 Sunday in the park, the rerun. Uh, it will be on the second Sunday in September. That'll be the Sunday after Labor Day. So we will not have services here. You'll be hearing more about that in weeks to come. But we look forward to a great day down at Camp Eagle Rock in one big service, worshiping together on the second Sunday in September. We have been talking about getting the big picture. And I was reminded yesterday, uh, actually, no, yesterday, last week, when I went by a store that sold puzzles uh, during the summer, uh, families go on vacation. How many of you like doing puzzles with your family on vacation, where you spread them out on the table and work on it for two or three? Raise your hands high. I'm just curious. Somebody said, you know, are puzzles becoming more popular? This guy in the puzzle store was saying they were becoming more popular. And they're showing me different kinds of puzzles, some with a thousand piece. He had one 5,000. It's just a huge puzzle. Nothing but marbles. Nothing but marble, just a pile of marble. I can't imagine how difficult it would be. But if you really want the new kind that is the most difficult, this puzzle has no picture on the box. In other words, you have no idea what you're working on. Now, I drove away thinking, wait, 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 wait a minute. How can you have a puzzle with no picture on the box? Because then, I mean, you look for the corners, and after that, you're toast, right? I mean, I'm going I'm to look for some straight-edge pieces. But if I have no picture on the box, I have no idea what I'm trying to make. Now, folks, that is the way many people go through life making decisions. Without a picture on the box, without an organizing worldview, without an approach that says, here's who I am and what my purpose is, I just go off grabbing pieces and kind of seeing what will fit together. What we're talking about this month is getting the big picture, because I don't believe God leaves us without a picture on the box. I believe the Lord shows us through his word what it means to live life to the fullest. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Can you say it with me? Love the Lord your God with all your... And the second command is like it. Love your... L1 stands for love God. L2 is... And we've said those are the big pieces, the elements of living. But as we live in this world, we recognize also that we live in a culture that no longer necessarily affirms that those things are the big picture. And so I want to make sure that my worldview is centered. I've got the center and the center and the, and the pieces on the edges are fitting together. Mark down number one. We started over the last few weeks to show that a worldview begins with a Christian asking the question, what about God and what is real? What about God is the question of theology. Is there a God? And if so, can we know what he's like? And only once you answer that basic question, can I then stack on top of that foundation, well, what is real? Last week, we talked about the difference between materialism and non-materialism and supernaturalism. 
and uh, probably not materialism, but naturalism. Naturalism being the, the belief and the philosophy that all that you see, you see what you get and nothing more. There is no beyond this. Supernaturalism is the belief that there is something beyond this and that both the natural and the supernatural are real. Whereas non-naturalism is the philosophy that says, you know, everything is just an illusion, just a perception. One of my boys was watching, I think it was the second Star Wars movie that was on TV the other night. And uh, I'd, I'd forgotten, man, you, you meet Yoga, uh, Yoda rather, Yoga. <laughs> I need yoga, but you meet Yoda on the planet Dagobah. And, 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 and as he starts talking to Luke about that, that things are illusion, it's all in your mind. I'm thinking this is non-naturalism right here. This philosophy is sewn right into this movie. Nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying, you know, throw away all your Star Wars DVDs. But, but I'm saying, do you realize that there is so many ideas floating around in the pluralistic culture in which we live? So many ideas that you may not even see coming. And Paul warns us all the way back in the book of Colossians. He says, those ideas can take you captive. You don't have to have a, you know, a, a, a laser, what do they call it? The laser sword? Lightsaber. You don't have to have a lightsaber in order to do battle with these ideas because the battle is between your ears. Here's his language. Colossians chapter 2. In fact, let's read it out loud together. If we can, there you go. All right, good deal. Let's, let's read it together. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on and the basic rather than on. Now, there's a key word rather than on Christ, because our foundation begins with an understanding that there is a God who loved us so much that he would send Jesus. And on top of that theology, I stack the fact that I'm a supernaturalist. I believe God is real. The, the things that I can't see are real. And also the physical, the hard stuff we talked about last week, which leads us to the next question. It's the question of biology. Biology is the study of life. Bio is life, right? And so biology is how did we get here? And as I examine the world, as I put the big picture together, I begin with an understanding that God is, and my philosophy for what's real is that there is an unseen realm and a seen realm. What is seen is uh, temporary. What is unseen is eternal, Scriptures teaches us. And now I ask, well, then what, what am I here for? And, and before that, really, how did I get here? Next week is psychology. This week, Biology. How many of you have heard of the Creation Museum? Anybody here heard of the Creation Science Museum? If you've been keeping up with uh, some of the blogs and, and a little bit of the news out there, there's a big stir about a museum in Kentucky. Because this creationist that put the museum together, talk about a clear worldview here, his museum is a little different than some of the other natural history museums that are around. In that, take a look at this picture. This is one from the... Um, from the Creation Science Museum. Okay, what do you notice that's a little different, if you can see it from where you're sitting, about this illustration? Oh, you've got the giraffes, and you've got the monkeys, and you've got the elephants, but do you notice they got the dinosaurs tucked right in there as well? This has caused a huge stir in the science community because some folks have said, wait a minute, you can't have the dinosaurs in there with the animals because they all didn't coexist together. In fact, this is the one that really gets them riled up. Go to the next one. They have, uh, you know, some models and such. Here is a dinosaur with a saddle. Yes, that man would saddle up and ride on the dinosaur. So there have been all of these articles over the past few months that have been written saying, wait a minute, 
This doesn't fit. Now, right now, some of you are making judgments about this. And you may be making judgments just grabbing pieces out of the puzzle box. You may be saying, wait a minute, that's ridiculous because of this. Or wait a minute, what about this? And some of you may be saying, well, I don't even know where the dinosaurs fit anyway. I mean, you know, where, where do you wedge them in? Then comes an article that was written just last week, and I had somebody email me. and said, did you see this? And I'm, I'm glad they did, because USA Today, the national newspaper of America, USA Today, had in their forum section an article written by a group of scientists from a group that calls BioLogos. Now, that name ought to tell you something. Bio, life. Logos, the word. The Greek word from John. These are a group of self-proclaimed Christian scientists who, and the title of the article is, We Believe in Evolution and God. We are trained scientists who believe in God, but we also believe that science provides reliable information about nature. We don't view evolution as sinister and atheistic. We think it is simply God's way of creating. Yet we can still sleep soundly at night with Bibles on our nightstands resting atop the latest copy of Scientific American. The article makes the case for a group of scientists who say you can believe in evolution, Go to the next slide. This is the, the, the picture that was accompanied this little, uh, uh, it wasn't an it was essay, really, a, a forum or opinion piece. USA Today would want me to say that. But you look here at this familiar evolutionary chart, but then what do you see at the end? The finger of God, right, from Michelangelo. So what is this? Well, it is people trying to sort out a worldview in which they're taking the material world, right, what we see in fossil science and what we see in the scientific record, and their supernatural view, what we believe about God, and bringing them together to answer this simple question. Where'd you come from? How will you explain to your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren? How will you sit down with a child who may be a friend of yours who says, hey, I learned about evolution. Where does God fit in that? So let's start again with Mark chapter 10. Jesus is asked a question by the Pharisees that really fairly fit in sociology. The question that Jesus is asked about has to do with marriage and social structure. They want to know, is it okay for people to get divorced? Jesus, what do you have to say about that? Some of the rabbis would say it's never okay. Some would say it's okay under these settings. Others would say it's okay under almost any setting that a man decrees. Now, you need to remember that Jesus is speaking to a pretty paternalistic society, a definitely male-dominated society. And when he references Moses, he's referencing an extremely paternalistic society, a society in which some would consider women not much above possessions. Now, I don't know that that's really fair, by the way, because in the book of Genesis, here I am going back, my theology and my philosophy is going to impact my worldview. Guess what my worldview about men and women is impacted by? In the beginning, God said, let us make them in our own image. In God's image. In God's image, he made them male and female. Guess what? Men and women are both made in the image of God. So I better not stack one above the other when it comes to who God loves. Is everybody with me on this? Now watch what Jesus touches on. They asked him a question about divorce and remarriage. 
or rather about, about divorce. And Jesus says, well, what did Moses command you? And he says, Moses permitted a man to give a certificate of divorcement to his wife. What you may not realize is that certificate of divorcement was actually a step in God's law about women's rights. Moses was actually protecting a woman with that. Because you see, in a male-dominated society, a man could say, I'm tired of you. I don't want you anymore. So this woman is shoved out. Well, she has no way of proving to anybody else that she hasn't just run away from her husband or run away from her family commitments. And without being able to join to another family unit in a, in a, uh, a nomadic society, she's going to die without some help. So Moses says, if you're going to divorce your wife, you write her a bill of divorcement. That's not male power. That's actually female rights to say, here, you have this to prove that you are indeed free to join yourself to another family. It's kind of hard to think of it back, if you will, in a, in a, in a day in which uh, their worldview, as far as men and women, may have been very different than ours today. But follow me now. Jesus reaches back to that and he says... Well, the only reason that Moses gave you that was because of your hardness of your hearts. You weren't loving each other enough. You weren't staying true to your commitments. You weren't being faithful to one another. And by the way, he's speaking to a group of men. And I think there's a little bit of a jab in that too. Guys, it was, it was on you that that happened. By the way, after L2, starting on that L2 Sunday in the park, and for the 40 days thereafter, we're going to begin a family building series called 40 Days of Hope. I am really looking forward to it. We're going to have some challenges for you to build relationships starting at that place where you live with your, with your family, whether it's wife or kids or whatever your family unit is, and that'll begin in September. So sorry about that. I'm just look, looking forward to it. Jesus says the family is important, and Moses did this because the hardness of your hearts. But now listen to this. But at the, can you say it with me? Beginning of God. Wait a minute, Jesus, what are you doing? He's quoting his worldview. He's saying, I'm going to go all the way back to my theology that God made man and woman. And because God made them male and female, he says that is going to impact the way I feel and the way I'm going to talk about marriage. Jesus affirms the Genesis account. At least he affirms that in the beginning, God made them male and female. So. How does a Christian answer the question, where did I come from? Mark down, uh, I believe it's number three we're up to now. And let's talk about the three basic answers that are out there. While several answers exist, the Christian turns to God's word for the answer. And the answer is Christ. You say, wait, hold on, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about creation. Do you know that at the beginning of the Gospel of John, John says that without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Take a look at it. John chapter 1. He says that he was with God in the beginning. Punch that button there and we'll get to it. Thanks. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. As we've already quoted from the book of Genesis, God said in the beginning, he said, let us make them male and female. We're going to make them in our image. And that us up there, I believe, refers to and reminds us of Christ's involvement in creation. So Paul is going to say, well, man, my worldview goes back to this. Jesus is the answer to where we came from. But maybe let's change it a little bit. How did we get here? Three basic answers. Answer number one is spontaneous evolution. It is probably the most often taught answer to your children and mine. Life came from nothing. 
there was a moment in which life appeared on the earth. And that appearance, some describe it as the result of the Big Bang. There are a number of ways that you can uh, scientifically try and put together a reasoning for this. But the bottom line, and even the scientists who hold to this position would agree, it, it is an ex nihilo kind of thing. It comes out of, uh, out of nothing. It starts up. Life just began. Some would say, no, 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 I can't go along with that. I need a more purposeful beginning. And so then come along what's called the theistic evolutionists. Their comment is, life was created through evolution. The BioLogos folks are theistic evolutionists. I believe in God and I believe in evolution. Now, I have to say, I grew up not thinking that was even a possible choice. I thought you got the evolutionists and got the people who believe in God and they were, you know, duking it out in the Scopes Monkey trial. Well, today there are a number of folks, and I've got some friends who I respect and love very much, who would say, you know, Jeff, I see those that first chapter of Genesis. It is an artistic form. It's more like a poem. It is not a, a, a scientific document. And, and I'll go with them this far, that it certainly uh, is a poem, and it certainly was written in a style that is not a Western scientific style. And so this logic, their worldview says, I believe in God. I believe in a supernatural and natural. And when I get to the biological, God brought life about. But the way he brought it about, they would say, was through this process called evolution. Hang on to that thought, and let's go on to number three, which is creationism. That God brought about the world, but he did not bring about it over a long process we call evolution, but rather he created it instantaneously. Now, this third position, which many of you would have thought, well, that's, that's the only Christian position. This third position has been under fire more and more from scientists, hence the Creationist Museum. Now, can you see why the Creationist Museum is causing some of these scientists to say, you can't do that? And they say, well, yeah, we can. Just watch us. And they say, God made it all. God made the dinosaurs and God made the dogs and God made the people and God made everything. And he could have made it just like that. If you're big enough to be God, you can make it in a second, you can make it in seven days, you can make it in seven billion years. Can I get an oh yeah? I mean, whatever your position, if you got God that's too small to do that, then you got a small G God, and you got to go all the way back to your beginning theology. I've got a capital G God who created the heavens and the earth. That's the primary statement of Scripture. God made it, which, by the way, gives him authority and you could get all the way into laws and ethics. And where do you turn for your laws and your ethics if you go back to your worldview? And you've got a God here who's big enough to do that. You're going to turn to God, which is why Jesus says, ask me about divorce. I'm going to tell you about God. It's a it's a biblical God centered worldview. Now, what what we wrestle with is that each one of these puzzle piece decisions. Well, I believe in spontaneous evolution. Well, I believe in theistic evolution. Well, I believe in creationism will have impacts on your worldview. Mark down number four in your outline, if you wouldn't think through this with me. Each of these views leads to important conclusions about the very meaning of life. You say, wait a minute, this sounds like psychology. No, 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 no. Hang on, we're, we're just a biology. But when I make this decision and put this piece in place, well, let's walk through it. Spontaneous evolution. Spontaneous evolution suggests that there is no designer, creator, or mind behind you. You are a, you're a fluke of nature. You're a roll of the dice and, whoo, man, I got doubles. Bang. 
that long enough this world, this this galaxy was here, that the right kind of planet happened to exist so that the right kind of uh, minerals and the right kind of, of atoms would happen to exist so that the right kind of cell could happen to be formed so that the right kind of amoeba, so that the right kind of slimy thing, so that the right, 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 and Ugg the caveman, and you. Now, I'm not trying to mock this. I'm actually asking you to think this through with me. What is the meaning of life if that is your worldview? Well, I mean, let's go back to Jesus. Let's say Jesus is a, the, is a spontaneous evolutionist. And they come up and they say, hey, what about divorce? Well, he's not going to reach back and quote God and Moses because well, I don't believe that. Well, how do you, what do you believe? Well, I believe we're just, we're here. Jesus might say, well, um, you know, it's really kind of an individualized thing. I mean, whatever works. What a, what a popular phrase, whatever works. Do you know where the phrase wherever works links back to? It links back to if you don't have any grounding behind a meaning for life, then just do what works for you. Do what benefits you. If it's good to get married, get married. If it's not good to get married, don't. You say, wait a minute, use the word good. What's good? I don't know, it's up to you. Because we don't have a driving purpose if our worldview says that we got here accidentally. Well, if that's true, then why in the world are we trying to save the planet? If that's true, why in the world are we worried about the future? Well, because it's the right thing to do. Time out. Why is it right? What makes it right? Well, it's just, it's just, it's just, hang on now. If I have spontaneously evolved, my dogs don't know right and wrong. The birdies in the backyard who swoop down as soon as we put bird feed in are not saying, leave some for the robins. They're not thinking that. They're simply thinking, food, yes, get it. Folks, if we don't believe there is a creator and a designer, then tell me where you're going to get right and wrong from. Whatever works. What's good for you? If there is no meaning to my life, then I'm going to have a hard time trying to tell you how you ought to live. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. Not only do I not want to live there, I also don't think it makes sense. Because the same scientists that try and convince me of spontaneous evolution drilled into my head the second law of thermodynamics. second law of thermodynamics is that um, things slow down. If I had a bowling ball here and I rolled it on a flat surface... When I let go of the bowling ball and it begins to roll, does it start rolling faster on a flat surface? You guys skipped that class, did you? If you roll a bowling ball on a flat surface, does it speed up? What does it do? How often does it do that? Every time, unless it's a rigged ball, you know, with a magnet or something in it, David Copperfield. But I mean, you know, your, your normal garden variety thing is that watches that are wound up, what do they do? Wound down. Garages that are cleaned up, what do they do? They 
they clean down, right? They, they get, they get. That's how the world works. So I'm sitting in a, in, a, in a cosmology class years ago in college, and the guy starts talking about the Big Bang, and somebody raised his hand and said, but what about the second law of thermodynamics? Because the second law of thermodynamics says you don't get a bang, that ever since everything, you know, it would have to slow. I promise, the professor said, we believe at this point that there was a momentary flux in the second law of thermodynamics. <laughs> Isn't that a great way of saying that? I mean, bless the guy's heart, he's in a tough spot. I don't know. It just, it just, it just was. So folks who wrestle with, but man, that makes so much sense. And I look at the fossil record and the Big Bang. They say, okay, all right, there has to be a beginning. And who's the big, the the guy that lit the Big Bang? We're going to call him God. And now I'm a theistic evolutionist. And you may say, okay, that makes more sense, Jeff, to be a theistic evolutionist. Let's go on to the next one, if you would. And a theistic evolutionist says, I'm going to take a hold of science's hand and say, evolution, I'm not going to fight you. I I think that makes sense. And I'm going to take hold of God's hand and I'm going to say, but I believe in you too. But here's the difficulty I have with this. Where do you get the fall of man if you have a theistic evolutionary view? You say, well, what's the fall of man got to do with anything? The story that is told in Genesis 1 about creation and the fall of man, the fall comes in Genesis 3, mankind sinning, is foundational to our understanding of humankind. It impacts our psychology, it impacts our ethics, it impacts our laws. The whole story of Jesus connects back to this. There was a fall. Look here what Paul says in the book of Romans. It's tough to be a Christian and leave off a text like this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through, can you say it with me? One man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men. Paul makes his whole case comparing Adam and Jesus. Now, here we go. So I've got one man and one man, Adam and Jesus. But if I don't believe that there was one man, if I don't believe that Adam ever existed, it it makes Romans a tough book for me. Grace. I've got some friends who, if they were sitting here, would say, Walling, you be fair. Explain how we get there. One of them said, you look at Genesis as a picture that God was painting so that we could understand the nature of man. Look how artistic the first chapter of Genesis is. It's written in poetic language. And he's right. It's written in language so that it can be remembered. The evening and the morning was the first day. All of that is about remembering this story. He says that story was never meant to be taken literally. It's 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 an artistic metaphor God gave us to understand the nature of man. Okay. I'm not going to kick him out of, of the Christian family because he, he says that, but I'm going to say, well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a handy, that's a handy dump to have. Because now whenever I find something in Scripture that kind of bothers me, you know, the miracles of Jesus, well, those are really artistic, how'd you say that? Artistic metaphors. You know, the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's just an artistic metaphor. The, the virgin birth of Jesus, that's just, and before you know it, I don't have much left because I've decided there's a way that I can simply get rid of the things that I don't understand. Now, I am no scientist, and there is much about creationism and theistic evolution that I do not understand. But, folks, I know this. If I give up on the fall of man, 
I have lost the need for Jesus Christ. I just can't take my penknife to my Bible in order to make my scientist buddy happy. So personally, I'm going to tell you that I'm a creationist. Do I believe that evolution and the way it's described over a million of years happened? Do I believe I can fit that in the scripture? I, do, I just, I, I can't fit that in there. However, I'm also going to tell you that I, have, I, I love and believe in a God who is big enough that if he decided to use a certain design for mankind, here, here's how my dad didn't even graduate from eighth grade. And I remember coming home and throwing evolution at him just like a pie in the face. Do you know about this? And have you read about this? And have you seen this? Now, my dad grew up in Texas picking cotton, moved here to California and was a foreman on an orange grove, taught himself scripture and ended up preaching. Later in life, ended up teaching at a school of preaching. And, uh, and every one of the guys who carried his casket when he was buried was ministers that he had started in ministry. Anybody been around here more than two weeks knows I respect my dad. So here I come home, and I come home with evolution somewhere in junior high school, and I just pie him in the face and say, look at this stuff. How can you deal with this? And my dad gave me something that has helped me. He said, let me ask you a question. Let's just say that you and I were there with God when he created Adam. And remember when he made the tree? If you... If you rushed up to that tree, what do you think that tree would look like? I said, that's, that's dumb. It'd look like a tree. He said, yeah. Think it'd be this high? He said, no. It says a tree. It'd be a tree. He'd say, if you cut that tree open, what are you going to find inside? Well, you're going to find, you know, the rings in a tree. And if you had your, your grandpa who was an arborist with the tree, he'd say, how old is that tree? And he'd say, well, that tree is 30 years old. But you'd say, no, that tree's two seconds old. God just made it. I started scratching my head. He said, how old do you think Adam was when he made it? I don't know. Think he was the size of your little brother? No, he was a man. God said he made a man. Well, you, how old do you think? Well, I think he's old. How old? Old, like 30. You know, old guy. So he said the doctor would have looked at Adam and said, Adam's 30 years old. But you'd have told him, no, Adam was just made 15 seconds ago. And then my dad just cracked my taco. He said... Now, if you take the world and you cut it open, I'm sure they're going to find all kinds of things in this world. It's a full-grown earth. God made a full-grown earth, just like he made a full-grown man and a full-grown tree. Now, that may not answer the question for you, and probably it's less designed to answer the question than to raise some questions and say, are there ways that we may have not thought about for how God did what he's done but will I start with a piece from here or will I begin with my worldview? There is a God and he has had his impact on nature by creating it. And when I look at my life, I am made and I have a purpose. That's why I am not comfortable when someone says, well, it doesn't matter whether you believe in evolution or not. Folks, I think it does. Now, could God have compressed all that into seven days? I've got one guy that says God compressed the four billion years into seven days. You know, whatever. But, but I'll arm wrestle you on this one. God is a designer with a design. He designed you with a purpose. And if you give up on creation, you have lost your purpose. And if you give up on the fall, you've lost your reason for Jesus. 
Will you pray with me? Father, the, Lord, these things seem so simple, and yet, God, I, I, I feel so conflicted about how complex they are. And a desire to, Father, simplify this this morning, I, I still struggle with. God, thank you for the psalmist's words. What is man that you're mindful of him? Lord, will you guide us today as we think through these things together? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the psalmist said this. The psalmist said, oh, Lord, you've created the heavens and the earth. Go to the last one there, if you would, please, brother. He said, you've created the heavens and the earth. And what you have created, God, is amazing. But how is it that with all of that, you are mindful of man? When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. O oh Lord, our Lord, can we all say it together? How majestic is your name in all the earth. Nathan's going to lead us in a song. And I'm reminded of my, uh, my brother Ralph who had his son work for him for a summer. And it was difficult. My brother runs a construction company and his son was working for him. And finally, after about a week, he yanked his son by the collar and pulled him aside and said, Benjamin, can you do me a favor? When you walk, will you walk with purpose? He said, what do you mean? He said, you see the way everybody else walks? He said, what are you talking about? He said, watch me. This is you walking on the construction site, Benjamin. He said, you walk like you don't have any place to go. He said, you notice how all the other guys that walk, work for me walk? They walk with purpose. They're heading somewhere. He says, if nothing else, walk with purpose. Walk like you're going somewhere. Otherwise, people think you're just standing around waiting for a paycheck. And Benjamin's like, okay. So, man, he said, for us this summer, wherever he went, he walked the bathroom. He was walking with purpose wherever he was going. I love that line, walk with purpose. Brothers and sisters, our worldview should drive us to walk with purpose. We are not an accident. We are not a fluke. You have a purpose. It is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And when we serve others and when we share Christ and when we love our children, we are here with a purpose. Walk with purpose, brothers and sisters. Let your worldview prompt you that. This isn't just a bunch of academic discussion. It comes down to walking with purpose. And this morning, you may need to walk with purpose. You may need to walk with purpose right to the front of this building and say, I need to confess Christ and be baptized in his name for the remission of my sins. Or maybe you need to come and say, I need your prayers. But know this, you were made with a purpose. I hope today you'll fulfill it. While we stand and sing, if you're in need, won't you come?